Hey, welcome to episode five of the Learning to Preach podcast. In this episode, we want to talk about three keys to a great sermon credited to my dear friend, Will Walker, author of the famous 2005 work, Kingdom of Couches, also co-author of works like The Gospel-Centered Life or the Lent devotional, The Journey to the Cross, or Journey to the Cross, not The Journey to the Cross. Uh, Will and I had the privilege of serving and leading here at Quorum Deo together for a number of years, and we honed uh, our preaching uh, together over the course of years. Uh, I don't know where Will got these, but I know that I got these from Will. So he gets credit for the three keys to a great sermon. Here they are. Insight, tension, and emotion. Uh, at some point as we were working out our, um, our thinking about preaching, Will said, hey, I think there are three things that make a sermon good. Will's the kind of person who just likes to think about what makes something good. Uh, and this is what he arrived at, uh, insight, tension, and emotion. Uh, you'll see that these are roughly analogous to Aristotle's famous categories of rhetoric, ethos, pathos, and logos. Okay, so any, anyone who's studied classical rhetoric shouldn't be surprised by these three things. They're not exactly a one-to-one correlation, but it's not surprising that they land in similar categories. Uh, what do we mean by insight? What makes a great sermon is when people see something in Scripture that they hadn't seen before, where you bring meaningful insight. You make them go, oh, I hadn't seen that before, or oh, that's really insightful, or oh, that's a powerful connection I hadn't made before. Um, If you want to think about it, this is what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 24, when after his resurrection, it says he taught his disciples, went through the scriptures with his disciples and showed them how it all pointed to him. What he's doing is taking texts they'd probably grown up reading as young Jewish boys and helping them say, oh, that was about the Messiah. Oh, that's about Jesus. Oh, that mentions the crucifixion. Imagine reading Isaiah 53 with Jesus after his resurrection and realizing here's this famous text that talks about uh, the lamb. And now Jesus is showing me that's about him, right? That aha lights going on moment is what insight is. And as often as you have the power and the ability to bring insight in a sermon, people are going to feel like that was not only helpful, it was powerful. It was challenging. Uh, The second thing is tension. Tension uh, is what good movies rely on. It's what good storytelling relies on. It's what good comedy relies on, right? What good comedy does, what a good comedian does, is he sets up tension and the punchline resolves that tension. He starts telling a story and you're like, I wonder where this is going. And it builds tension in you because you're trying to anticipate what's what's the punchline here. Then when the punchline gets delivered, you're like, oh, I see it. I get it, right? Um, A good sermon works in the same way. One of the Uh, interesting things you can do as a communicator to make your sermons powerful is to create tension in the sermon, to ask a question that won't get answered for 20 minutes, Uh, to raise a problem that you're not going to share the solution to so that your congregation keeps going, okay, I'm hooked. How are we going to get, how does the gospel solve this problem? How are we going to get to some meaningful resolution here? Okay. Tension always seeks resolution, and that's why tension is a powerful rhetorical tool in a sermon. The third thing is emotion, and what I don't mean here is emotivism. I don't mean just you crying a lot in the pulpit or, uh, or that kind of thing. I think there's a lot of ways that people play on emotion in really self-serving ways. So I'm not talking here about like preying on or playing on people's emotions, but I am talking about tapping into the human power 
of emotion. If you study human development, uh, one of the things counselors will tell you is there are reasons why certain moments in your life are very marked in your memory. And the reason is because what happened in that moment is combined with a deep emotion, whether it's fear, whether it's anger, whether it's sadness or pain, the things that are connected to deep emotion lodge in our consciousness in powerful ways. And so in the same way, when in a sermon we tap into emotion, something people are feeling, or we even better create a feeling for them, give them a sense of something deeply emotive, that lodges in a powerful way. There are different ways that can work in different sermons at different times, but uh, emotion always creates a powerful sermon. If people feel something during your sermon, if, there's, if they tap into sadness or anger or beauty or longing, this is why C.S. Lewis's autobiography is titled Surprised by Joy. I don't think C.S. Lewis would even call joy an emotion. He would probably argue with me for using that language. But his whole point is that joy was such a powerful and compelling thing in his life that when he saw that the gospel brought joy, it changed how he understood Christianity. He was surprised by joy. Um, so in the same way, anytime we can bring emotional power into a sermon, it really creates memorable effect. So these are three keys to a great sermon. Now, I'm sharing them with you on this podcast because uh, these are things you can begin to at least investigate. How can I try to tap into one or more of these as I build a sermon? It's a hard thing to do. And some of us, me tending to be more logical and cerebral, I have a really hard time. I have to work hard to do tension and emotion. I tend to do insight fairly well because it's more natural for me. You'll probably find the same thing as a preacher, that one of these comes a little more uh, naturally to you. The other two take a little more work. The best sermons, of course, are when you can combine all three. And if you can do that, it's going to be an amazing sermon. And keep in mind, these are not things that are uh, rooted in any biblical text. These are just common grace aspects of how the human person responds to storytelling. If you think about powerful movies, they tend to do all of these things. There's a component of they're making you see the world in a new way. There's a component of tension that's being raised that you, you wonder how it's going to be resolved. And they tend to sometimes provoke or evoke powerful emotional things in us. Think of the best movies that have really moved you and had a powerful effect on you. Probably they have something in, in each of these categories. Even movies that you don't think of as like moving or weighty, they, they tap into these. Think of one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride, right? Uh, it has this sense of tension. Uh, how is this love story going to get resolved? It has a sense of emotion. Characters I can relate to as really frustrating, annoying villains and really clever characters that, that start to warm your heart and you build affection for them, uh, right? The, the, the characterization in these movies tends to work along these three lines as well. And that's why good comedy, good movies, and good preaching tend to have something in common. So I'm not trying to here convince you that these are biblical. I'm just trying to convince you these are common grace realities of how human beings process truth, um, that when we can use them and leverage them as preachers, they make our sermons a lot better. Thank you, Will Walker, wherever you are watching this podcast. All right, guys, uh, what, as you think about these three, uh, which one for you has, been, has taken the most work to sort of develop? Tension for me has definitely been the hardest because I'm always thinking about the whole sermon at once when I'm writing it. So then my tendency has been to give away, give away the resolution to the, the problem like right after I state the problem. 
Because you don't want the audience to feel the discomfort right. of that tension. Right. So it's hard for me to then, how do I tuck that away and save that for later? And that's where you've been really helpful as you're reviewing my sermons before I give them to say, hey, no, nope, don't say that yet. You want to let that, let that ride and let, leave that to the end a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin, we've talked about in the past, uh, good humor actually relies on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've joked about, even as we think about what people in our church find funny, it almost kind of has to cross the line into things that feel almost uncomfortable. Like, can we actually laugh about it? Is it okay to laugh about that? Oh, we can? Okay. Um, that's, that's why comedians do that. They, comedians sometimes almost provoke you like, I'm about to be outraged and now I'm dying of laughter because that was so close to the line. Now, sometimes they can do that in, in sinful ways, but good comedians that can play with that kind of tension, there's a reason we respond with, with laughter because they, they sort of walk us up to a, a line of feeling that kind of tension. And there is a temptation as a preacher to want to resolve tension, especially those of us who are peaceful people and don't like anybody to feel discomfort. There's a sense in which when I set up a problem in the introduction that's not going to get resolved until the last point, I have to hold that tension for 20 or 30 minutes, and that can feel like a hard thing to do. It can feel like people in the room are leaning forward and going, okay, but what? But how are we going to solve this? But when you can do that, here's the, the win. The people in the room are leaning forward for the next 30 minutes, and that's a really good thing for the gospel. Holding the tension, too, is another uh, piece of art when it comes to crafting a sermon, is how do you introduce attention early, not resolve it right away, but then also don't let people forget about it. Don't let it disappear in their mind. So even finding ways to kind of stoke the fire of the tension uh, is important. Going back to your earlier question, I I think for myself, um, oftentimes trying to include emotion can be challenging for me. I think that's where uh, intentional uh, pauses have been really helpful when it comes to just delivery. Um, realizing that, hey, some, some lines, some statements are going to provoke emotion and you have to let those statements breathe for that emotion to come out rather than just continuing to move forward through the sermon. So I think even um, thinking carefully about intentional pauses to allow some of these things to breathe has been helpful. This is where I think feedback can be so helpful too, even if you're a small town or a one-man show, not a one-man show, but a one-guy preacher, you know, Asking your people how that resonated with them, or vice versa, how, how do you experience me in the pulpit? Man, you're, you're really heavy-handed, it sounds like. You sometimes come off as arrogant. You know, when I talk with you outside of that, I don't experience you that way, but maybe, you know, that's really helpful knowledge, all the way to, like, I don't really know if you believe what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes, like, oh, or I hear you get more passionate about other things, like at the Husker football game, or vice versa. Like, oh, like, that's really helpful. And so I know we've created that in our you know, circle on Monday afternoon. So even if a, a guy doesn't have that, I think it's widely helpful to be able to ask even outside help or to send, you know, videos of your sermon if you're remote. And yeah. I know we used to do this and like, hey, can we get some feedback for some guys that are maybe years ahead of us? Like, what do you mm-hmm. think? So Yeah, having one or two people whose feedback you trust and just trying to say, hey, would you look for, would you tell me when I hit one of these notes? You know, like, give me some feedback of like, oh, that was helpful. And, and don't, probably don't tell me if I miss, because I'll just assume I miss unless you tell me. Like, we often don't need more critical feedback for our sermons, but sometimes we do need to know, hey, when did a sermon really resonate? When was there a, a story or a point or a moment where it really felt like something meaningful was happening? Uh, it's sometimes really good to have a few people you trust to give you that kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. As a brief side note, I think you need to be careful about who you ask for feedback, though, because not all feedback is equal, and some feedback is just unhelpful. 
Um, so being thoughtful about who you get that from makes a real difference on whether or not you grow or just feel totally crushed in all of these areas. Yeah. Um, I, but for me, my biggest struggle is always in the area of emotion. Um, I've found it to be particularly challenging because I'm, I'm pretty heady. I think things through my mind a lot. I have a hard time getting outside of uh, my own brain. Um, and just the, the struggle to connect uh, in a way that's human has been really challenging for me. But I found it to be really important because I feel like that emotion piece is in a large part what makes you relatable. And it's what takes your content from theory to something that's really concrete and real to people. If they can say, uh, if you have a whole lot of good information, but it doesn't necessarily provoke any emotion, I mean, I don't feel like there's any emotional connection to the content, it just goes over my head or I lose interest in it. But if you can provoke some sense of emotion, an emotional connection to the content, to you as a preacher, to um, the Lord Jesus through that, um, then it makes it really, really real to me in ways that I feel like I can walk away with because they're intersecting my, my real world, my, my daily life. One of the things we can do here, you're right that I, I'm the same way. I've had to really struggle to grow here. There's some people who just tap that emotion so much more intuitively and naturally. One of the things we can do here that's a starting point is just to name emotions in people that we know are there. I've found that helped me begin to build some capacity in this category is just say, hey, some of you right now, here's what you're feeling. Or some of you are at a place in life where this is like, especially when that emotion is toward God or toward the people of God. Hey, some of you hate the church and you're bitter against God. Or, hey, have you ever been in a place where you are, you honestly just don't know what to say to God because it feels like he's so absent. When you can name those things and some percentage of the congregation goes, oh, you just read my mail. That's powerful even if you're, not able yet to inhabit that emotion yourself, just speaking those things for people makes them say, oh, you know something about what's going on in my soul. Uh, you've been there, or, or you know what that feels like. And that's really what, you, what you're aiming at is the idea of, oh, you know what that feels like. This is what the Psalms do for us. They name our emotions. They name our longings. They name our frustrations and fears. And that's why the Psalms for God's people have been for a long time such a rich place to go is because we feel like, oh, these... These things name us a little bit. They describe things we can resonate with. Uh, that's why lament, books like Lamentations are powerful because we've, when we've been through really sad, distressing moments in life, it's helpful to know, oh, there's some place in the Bible that can name those things and that, that connects to those realities. Um, so even if we can't access emotion, just being able to speak it and name it sometimes is a really powerful way to get started in that direction. I think one thing that's been really helpful to me in that recently uh, is not being too quick to move from preparation to pulpit. Uh, I'm the type of person who usually is like, hey, I now understand it. Let me go communicate to someone else. And I'm missing a lot of people in that because I'm not actually feeling that. I'm not actually sitting there. It's not actually provoking worship in me. And the last sermon that I preached, I spent more time praying that the Lord would uh, use that to elicit in me a sense of worship, a sense of longing, a sense of change, uh, a sense of joy or expectation or whatever it might be. Uh, I spent more time doing that than I did actually on sermon prep. And, um, and just proved to be that, powerful. Yeah, it proved to be really, really helpful. It, it, it made it more worshipful for me, and I think it connected better with the audience in a way that made it more worshipful and transformative for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bob, 
what do you feel like is the best time to try to, I mean, we're always looking for these opportunities to build these things, but if you're more of a novice preacher, you don't have, you don't always have the capacity to think about all these things. You're still on step one trying to build a skeleton, right? What would you say to the person who's just starting out? What, are, what, what out, phase of the development? Figure out which one you're most in, naturally lean toward and just try to do that. Like you probably are more of an insight guy. Just lean into that. That's what I would tell. Figure out how you're wired and just lean into the one that comes most naturally for you. Try to just develop capacity in that area and then slowly over time build the others. You know, Walker was really good at tension. He was a great, he was great at building that. And I would, every time he preached, I was like, hey man, you do that great. Lean into that. You're brilliant at that. Um, so figure out which one sort of more intuitively is natural for you and try to just start there. And then just having these categories is helpful to go, okay, I want to, as much as I can, um, you know, th that emotion one for me, anytime I know, oh, I have a compelling story that sort of taps that, I want to know, okay, hey, I can't do that in every sermon, but man, there's a few sermons where I know something really powerful is going to happen because I just know how this story is going to land. I know how this moment is going to feel. And so I want to try to leverage that well, but that doesn't happen every week for me. That's fairly infrequent. All right, so uh, there, friends, are three keys to building a great sermon, and I hope they help you continue to build your arsenal and your toolbox for effective preaching. In the next episode of this podcast, we're going to talk about six ways uh, to make your sermon gospel-centered, six ways to ensure that the gospel is at the heart of your sermon. This is the biggest category I've had to work on, and I've built six things and found six things that have been helpful to me. I want to share them with you, so we'll see you next time for that. <laughs>